0: Welcome to the Servant's Heart Chapel podcast with Pastor Daryl Underwood. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by this week's sermon. Now here's Pastor Daryl. This uh, interaction Jesus has with a couple different groups is really all about a reality check. I... Sometimes we need a reality check. Sometimes we, we, we think we understand completely what's going on and we're definitely making the right decisions and going the right way and, and we're completely wrong. And here we have two groups we're going to talk about. One group is a very religious group. And then the other group is a nearly spiritual group. And both groups are completely off track with the truth, with reality. They have false perceptions about how God, what God honors in our actions and what he doesn't honor. Beginning with uh, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he, being Jesus, went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. Notice that Jesus, first off, uh, went to eat at someone's house who uh, was not uh, right with God, did not agree with what he uh, was saying to be true. Jesus not only went and ate with what we know as Pharisees, and we're going to talk about those guys in a little bit, but Pharisees is a very religious group, he also went and ate with sinners and people who were completely apart from God, didn't even claim to be followers of God and and he and and so by doing that, we get to see an example of how we as Christians should act and behave around those who don't follow God. Notice that Jesus, very soon we're going to see that he interacted with those who are not Christians, but he didn't participate participate in their sin. He was connected with people, but he never condoned sinful behavior. And and, he, he, and and when given the opportunity, he would call it as he saw it. He wasn't mean. He was never mean. But he never minced words. We should never be afraid of speaking the truth. Always speak the truth in love, but never be afraid to speak the truth. So he went to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees. The Pharisees were this strict uh, a legalistic religious group uh, that came about and in, in, in with the Jewish people after they came back from Babylon, remember they were in Babylon uh, exiled in, in Babylon this pagan country they they uh, they had taken they had beat, conquered them and taken their people and and God uh, allowed them to come back to israel and so this group of men said, we need to go back to God's law, and completely shun anything pagan, which was good. You know, I have a feeling that the Pharisees started out with good intentions. They wanted, they wanted wholeheartedly to follow God and do what was right. But they went off track. At this time, the Pharisees were a very powerful religious group. About 6,000 in their ranks around Jesus' time. Josephus, the historian, told us that. And so one of the leading Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner. And it said they were watching him closely. That means they were really paying attention to what he was doing. And it wasn't because they liked him. They were hoping to catch him. Catch him doing something wrong so they could exploit it and show the crowds, oh, this guy isn't uh, all that. He's not what you think he is. They're watching closely. Verse 2, there in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. He was in bad shape. Verse 3 In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He knew why that man was there. That wasn't an accident. And why he was there, why he had been invited. Because, see, the Pharisees didn't believe you should heal people on the Sabbath, on their Sunday. If that's that's working, it shouldn't work on Sunday. They See, the Pharisees had made a bunch of man-made rules. And they, they thought they could get to heaven by what they did. If I'm good enough, if I dress the right way. We have that problem, too, in some of our, of our circles. People think that they just follow certain rules. They, they wear the right clothes. I, I've known people who dressed modestly. They didn't smoke. They didn't cuss. They didn't drink. They didn't even have a television in their home. They, they went great lengths to live a life that's very simple and plain and, and, um, and free from sin. But their heart was actually far from God. God there was no love in their heart. They were bitter. They were mean. They gossiped. They told lies. And this is where the Pharisees were at. They they were following these rules, but their heart was far from what they were portraying on the outside. So they were watching Jesus closely to this man, swollen fluid, and, and Jesus knew So he asked them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And, of course, they couldn't say one way or the other before he healed the guy. They say, well, yes, it's lawful. Then they can't accuse him of disobeying the law. If they say, no, it's not lawful, they look like they're being cruel to this man. verse 5 And to them he said which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the sabbath day If you if your son falls into a well you're going to do whatever you can to save his life even if your ox an animal that you use to make a living like your car goes off into a ditch, think of it that way. You're gonna, and especially if an ox falls into a well, I. If it's too long, lame like that, it's gonna die. So they, they, you know, you're gonna get it out. But they didn't, they couldn't answer them because they all knew what they would do if their son or ox fell in the well on the Sabbath. And yet, they were going to accuse him of sinning for healing this man of his disease on the Sabbath. The Pharisees had the wrong perception. They believed that their man-made rules trumped God's law. In reality, God's love, mercy trumps their man made rules. Verse 7. Then Jesus tells a parable, it says. The parable is an illustration used to clarify a point. Jesus told a lot of parables to try to illustrate the realities of heaven. He would use everyday objects and people to illustrate the reality of heaven. And so he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. So at in, in, in this time, uh, you have the person who's the host, and he was one of the leading Pharisees, so he was a very important man. He's invited uh, some people to join him for dinner. And that in itself is an honor. But the closer you sit to the host, the more important you are. That's part of their culture. And so Jesus saw, he probably saw, you know, two guys, and remember, they reclined. There were no chairs. They were eating on the floor. And they would recline on their left side and so you could probably see guys squeezing in. Oh, there's a little space between two guys near the front. So I'm going to squeeze in in between them so I can be close to the front. And so he saw them doing this. They were self-promoting. They were promoting themselves. And he said, verse 8, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place. Because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. So The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you'll proceed to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and recline to lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You'll then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. So their false perception is, in order to be honored, I have to blow my own horn. I have to let people know how great I am. When I do something for somebody, I have to get on Facebook and advertised what I did for this person or this organization. And Jesus is turning that perception on its end because he says in verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, that's the reality. If you just do whatever you do for God's glory... No matter who notices, God is going to honor you, either in this life or in the next, and most likely both. And then he, 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 he attacks another false perception. Of the Pharisees in verse twelve. He also said to the one who invited him, When you give a lunch or a dinner and don't invite your friends or brothers, or when you vote dinner, don't invite your friends or brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you will be repaid. Now what he's saying there is not to don't he's not saying don't invite anybody, you know. He's saying don't just invite all of your buddies. Because they're going to, to invite you over and you're going to be repaid for, your, for, for providing uh, food to somebody. For being a blessing to them. And he said, uh, uh, verse 13. Verse 13. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. Invite those who can't repay you. Invite those who are lonely. Invite those who don't have any friends. Invite those who are poor and can't afford uh, to to host a, a big event like you do. Verse 14, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. One thing Lori always loved doing, Thanksgiving. uh, Often we would be out of town because that was a time we went and visited family, but they would have a Thanksgiving dinner here and they would invite those who had nowhere to go. And I love that. And I was a big fan of it. Um, so don't... Jesus, notice Jesus never says it's not bad to work for a reward. He was saying you're doing it wrong. It's not bad to want a blessing. Just don't work for blessings on the, In this world. Because they're so short term, they're almost of no value compared to an eternal reward. If we invite those who can't repay us, God repays us. And he repays us eternally. Jesus is saying, invest in that. It's just all he's saying is... Don't waste your time and money for throw things that don't mean anything. Put your time and money in something of much greater value. And so there, the Pharisees, their perception problem was they were focused on short-term rewards. Oh, I'll invite Tim because he knows people and he can get me connected with the right people, so I can get promoted. and You know, one of our, um, I won't say his name because uh, I'm recording a podcast and I want to keep it proud, but you all know who I'm talking about. There's somebody who hasn't been at our church in a while because things going on, which I talked about, but because of his position in the community, he had trouble with churches. Because of his important position in the community, he would go to a church and and they would try to buddy up with him because he knew they knew he knew people. And it'd be uncomfortable. And he ended up leaving. I told him, You need to come to our church. You can just be you because no one's probably going to know who you are, anyways. And he has, and he loves it here. But it's a shame. They were looking at short-term rewards and Jesus was trying to set it right. Say, look, focus on eternal rewards. Verse 15, another incorrect perception of the Pharisees. When one of those who reclined at the table heard these things, he said to him, said to Jesus, the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed and I'm sure everybody else is like, yep, absolutely. The one who eats bread in the kingdom of God in heaven is blessed. You know, probably why he was saying that is because he was Jewish. They thought, as a child of Abraham, I have a golden ticket into heaven. Paul dealt with that in some of his letters in Hebrews. I've got a golden ticket. Bless are those who eat bread in the kingdom. I've got a golden ticket. I can, I'm, I'm going to, I have access to heaven. I'm going to heaven because of my lineage. Because of the culture that I'm in. So Jesus has to set that right. Verse 16, then he told him, Jesus telling this man, a man was giving a large banquet, another parable, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. Now this parable, this banquet, it represents the gospel, represents the kingdom of God, represents what we can have through Jesus Christ and what he did because He finished it. Everything's ready. All we have to do is come. We're being invited to come to His feast. The Bible talks about one day we'll be before in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be a wonderful time. So everything is now Ready. And so the servant goes out to uh, tell. So here's what, in, in, in the Middle East, maybe even to this day, someone wealthy, uh, not as wealthy, but someone invites you to dinner. They You don't go right then. They won't even tell you when and where read a story about a man who was visiting a Christian church in the Middle East and, and one of the church members invited him to dinner after church and he, and he accepted it and the guy just turned around and walked away. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm thinking, I don't know where, I don't know what time. So he asked one of the other church members and they said, just go back to your hotel room and wait for further instructions. You see, they didn't do it this way. They didn't have a certain time. The meal had to be prepared, and they didn't. They don't rush into everything. And and Americans and Europeans have a very different concept of time than the rest of the world. So they weren't concerned about how long something might take. It's ready when it's ready. And so everybody just go back to their homes and wait for a messenger to come to tell you, okay. And that's what happened. He went back to his hotel room. Someone knocked on his door later and said, we're ready to, to receive you now. And he followed the, 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 the guy to this, this man's house and, and they had dinner there. But that's what was going on. This, this host had already invited people to his dinner. And so now he sent a servant out to tell him, okay, it's ready. Dinner's ready. Time to come. Verse 18, but without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I I bought a field, and I must go and see it, and I ask that you excuse me. These are all going to be really weak excuses, by the way. I mean, who buys a field without looking at it? Verse 19, another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. That's a lot of oxen, by the way. That's a huge amount. That's, I think, I would assume there's two per yoke. So that's that's ten oxen. An ox, yeah. Uh, oxen is poor for ox. Yeah, a big strong, a big strong cow. Uh, they were used for pulling things, pulling plows and such. For a long, oh, you're fine. A yoke is uh, a brace that you put across the necks uh, of the oxen to keep them together because you put uh, one ox next to another and they both pull. And so the yoke kind of keeps them in control. And it's a big heavy wooden and, and metal thing. We got a picture in there. Oh, I was trying to... Okay. <clears throat> so he bought five oxen, which was not cheap, so he's obviously wealthy. 5 I'm sorry, five yoke of oxen. And I'm going to try them out. Who buys... That's like buying a car without driving it. Buy it first, and then I'm going to drive it and check it out. And so I asked you, excuse me, Another weak excuse. Verse 20. Another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. Another weak excuse. Reality, they didn't want to come to dinner. They were too busy. I'm too busy right now. A lot of people are like that in this world. God speaks to their heart. I said, I'm too busy right now. I'm having too much fun. It'd be too hard. It's too difficult right now. Sometime later, I've had people tell me, oh, I need to make some changes in my life first before I come to Jesus. I asked them, do you take a bath before you get in the shower? Does it make sense? You... You cover Jesus as you are and let him work on you and clean you up. But the people, they're they're, they're making, they're all excuses. They're not real reasons. They're excuses because they don't want to. I don't want to right now. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be under anybody else's authority. I want to be the God of my life. (coughs) Verse 21. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in the poor, main, blind, and lame. And he said, master, the servant said, what you order has been done, there's still room. And the master told the slave, go out into the highways and lanes and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Those who made excuses aren't going to enjoy it, aren't going to, be, to enter into heaven. He says this as a response to that one man's comment, how blessed are those who eat bread in the kingdom of heaven, right? We've got a golden ticket. just telling me you don't have a golden ticket. You need to accept the invitation. You need to come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Praise the Lord. So that was the Pharisees. The Pharisees had a number of misconceptions about reality, and Jesus used that opportunity with them in dinner (coughs) to set them straight. So now we come to the second group as we wrap up today's sermon. Verse 25, Now great crowds were traveling with him, These great crowds and healing and and feeding the thousands uh, with bread and, and doing all these wonderful things and having these wise things to say. They wanted to hear him. They wanted to follow him. So these large groups were following him. He's the next big thing. His Twitter feed was off the roof. Through the roof. So he turned to them and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, hate we're not talking about, oh, I, Jesus wants me to hate you. That doesn't make sense, does it? We're supposed to love others. We're even supposed to love our enemies. So what could Jesus mean by this? Well, there's no English word for this exactly. But what he's really saying is to love less than him. Nothing, no person, even your own life should be above Jesus. He should be the most important person in your life. And you cannot be a follower of Christ if he's not the most important person in your life. You see these crowds? They were a little different than the Pharisees. They weren't major religious, but they were spiritual. Oh, I'll follow him. It's a nice day. And going along with the crowd, it's easy. Maybe we'll get lunch. If somebody has a few bread and uh, loaves of bread and a couple of fishes, right? Maybe we'll see a healing. Maybe I can get Jesus to take care of my tennis elbow. They were merely, they were merely spiritual. They weren't serious about God. They didn't care uh, that much about the sin in their life. They knew there was sin in their life. Their, the, the, the most important things in their lives were their family and, and, and their own life. They would preserve their own life, would do whatever they can to save themselves. Jesus saying, if you don't love me above all this, then you can't be my disciple. Then he said, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. So not only is Jesus supposed to be the most important person in your life, but you have to participate in the execution of self in your life. That I am no longer in charge of my life. Jesus is in charge what he wants, what what my behavior is driven by, what pleases God. And come after me. That means, come after me, that means you can't be a passive Christian. You just can't go along with the flow, not really put forth an effort. It's not going to, you're never going to be inconvenienced. You can't do that. You can't be a mediocre. You have to make an active uh, effort to follow after Jesus. And anybody who actively follows Jesus, tries to live their life that's pleasing to Christ, you're going to run into opposition. There's going to be problems. There's going to be frustrations. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be betrayal by false friends. And so you can't be Christ's disciple if you're not willing to do that. So he starts to talk about what it's going to cost. All of you who are following me, that's great, but it's going to cost you something. And then he says in verse 28, for which one of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. How many of us would would decide, well, I'm going to go build a house without even first even considering how much it might cost to do so? Just go to Lowe's and start buying two-by-fours until you run out of money. Verse 29, Otherwise, after he's laid down the foundation and can't finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. So if you're a king, you're going to war. You're not going to take your Thousand men and go up against a group of twenty thousand. Unless you're insane, you're going to send an emissary out there and say, "Hey, can we talk peace terms?" And count the cost. Verse thirty-two. If not, while well, the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. See, people were following Jesus without considering the cost. Verse 33, in the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. And what we mean by this is goodbye to possessing your possessions. None of no possession should you have that's more important than God and his purposes. We should love Jesus more than what we own. It should be that if 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 you find out there's a need, in fact I was going to talk about it, there's uh the discipleship book that I pointed you to and, and I use and I gave you a couple of lessons and I, I gave you the website for it, they just translated it into a language in the Philippines and they're working to get it printed, formatted and printed to use in the Philippines. And they're, they're raising $2,000 to make that happen. So they're asking for donations. Let's say you just heard about that. And you're like, oh, you know, and and you go home and you realize, oh, there's this one object in my house. I don't really care about it. I don't need it. It's just there. And that's worth a hundred bucks. I could sell it for a hundred bucks and give that money to this uh, project to print discipleship books for people in the Philippines. There should be nothing No 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 personal object no car no clothes nothing so important if God asked you to give it up for him that you wouldn't be willing to give it up it's just stuff it's not that important and people make it more important than God People have turned away from God because they owned a lot of stuff and they didn't want to give it up. Verse 34. So Jesus, so who who has authority? I want to ask you, Jesus talked about um, relationships, talked about your own life, talked about material possessions. I want to ask yourself, Who has authority of your relationships? Who has authority over your relationships? Who has authority over your possessions? Is it you? Or is it Jesus? Verse 34, Jesus said, Now salt is good, Jesus told the disciples before that you are the salt of the earth. Christians are considered the salt of the world. We preserve, we season. Everybody we're around, we bless those that are around us. We help people, we save people. The Bible talks about a Christian wife sanctifying a, a, a husband who's not a Christian and vice versa. A husband who's a Christian, they, they sanctify their wife. We, we, there's a... Um, there's an outward blessing. And Jesus said, now salt is good, but that salt should lose its taste. How will it be made salty? It isn't fit for this, or verse 36 or 35, it isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile even. They throw it out. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. You see, salt brings value. It brings life, as we Christians bring value and life. But it only does that if we're fully committed to him. If there's sin in our life, if something is more important than Jesus in our life, whether it's relationships or or, uh, possessions, then it's going to bring impurities into the salt of our heart. And it's going to ruin our ability to bless those around us is going to make us useless for God's kingdom. There's a cost to discipleship. We're to give up all that keeps me from serving God. Maybe it's my idea that I can earn my way to heaven. Maybe it's my idea of, of selfishness, self-promotion, or being critical of others, or thinking I can just float along and, and not really deal with any sin in my life, not really uh, just be passive about things, and, and when we're called upon in the world to stand up for truth, we just keep our mouths shut so because we don't, don't want to rock the boat. We need to give up all that. I want to close the sermon today with a quick story. Years ago, uh, a young man put his hand to the plow as he pastored a church. He was working hard for Jesus, trying to affect the kingdom of God for Christ. His salary was small and his burdens were big, and the world did its best to woo him try to pull him away from his ministry. And when the devil couldn't allure him, he attacked him, he used the saints as well as sinners. I've seen that happen. I've experienced that. People you think are brothers and sisters in Christ will attack you and make things harder on you. And disheartened and discouraged this gifted and gracious man boarded a train a train home bound for California. He was going back home broken in heart and in funds, but the Lord still wanted him and wooed him. And this man counted the cost. He cut all connections that kept him from serving Christ And Herbert Buffum confirmed his consecration by saying, I'm going through whatever the price may be. And finding a piece of paper, he wrote these words. I'm going through, yes, I'm going through I'll pay the price, whatever others do. I'll take the road with the Lord's despised few. I'm going through, Jesus. I'm going through. That's a chorus, by the way. We're going to sing it shortly. Herbert ended up writing 10,000 gospel songs and had a 1,000 of them published. And when he died, the Los Angeles Times called him the king of gospel Song writers, and on his grave the epitaph reads, I have fought a good fight. That fight started the day he sat on that train and talked to God and decided, I'm going to give it all up for you, Lord. Thank you for joining us. If you liked this podcast, then hit the subscribe button. Also take some time to rate us. Feel free to check out our website at servantsheartchapel.org and you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Thanks again and have a blessed week.